You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, you're listening to Sustainably Geeky. I'm your host, Jennifer, and I am joined today by Chris. Chris hasn't been on in a few episodes, so we're really excited to have her back for this one. But we wanted to have her on because we're talking about raising green teens, and Chris has two of those. So, happen um, to have some. Yes. yes, she is our resident expert on the show. Um, <laughs> so, um, we've also got our special guest today is Amanda O'Fox Gillespie, and she is the author of Green Mama and Green Mama to Be, and creator of GreenMama.com, host of the and and host of the Eco Parent podcast raising greener teens. So Amanda, thank you so much for being on. Um, and I guess, you know, can you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and where your passion for sustainability started? Hi, thank you so much for having me uh, and for doing this work. Um, wow. So I live now on a tiny little island uh, in the west coast of BC and uh, but I'm from originally from the U.S. and I grew up uh, in the inner city and a mixed race family, uh, uh, very low income. And I think that uh, the dichotomy of growing up and sort of pursuing h higher education and I went to a school called Oberlin and becoming more and more aware of the the world around me and um, and also personally finding quite a bit of comfort and reprieve in the ecological world around me. Uh, that then combined with the sort of deep knowing that we'd created a world where even having access to nature, having access to healthier options are are defined really by class um, and how you grow, like how you live, where you live often even the color of your skin, et cetera. So I think, you know, it kind of made me both passionate about um, the, the, the opportunities that exist uh, through the ecological world, through um, thinking about things more holistically and also deeply concerned about how we have made this a super privileged place to be and not something that truly feels uh, equitable or fair or accessible, which isn't that such a deep irony um, that our connection with with the earth and and nature would somehow have been now become this elitist thing that only some have access to. Yeah, the thing that should be the easiest to access theoretically because it's just everywhere. <laughs> it is. Um... Yeah, like you said, kind of a, a privileged thing nowadays for some reason, and um, that's I, I'm really glad that that the focus on sustainability has become more intersectional, and we realize that you know um, everything's related when it comes to environmental justice and and class and race and and all the things you mentioned and gender. So um, yeah, this should be an interesting talk. Thank you for for bringing that up. Um, and so you you. I've written a couple books and you host a podcast. Um, so how did you kind of come to to do this work um, and, and become the green mama as, as you're known? <laughs> uh, it feels uh, in many ways a, a million miles away, particularly now that I'm in the phase of motherhood of uh, raising teens, which is really different. Um, so way back when I 
worked in um, the sustainability field. I did basically environmental planning and I worked for a small nonprofit in Cleveland. And as part of that, I also did a lot of writing uh, and just thinking about ecological design and what does it mean to create neighborhoods, cities, roads, uh, experiences, lives that do, um, that have an equity uh, aspect and an equity aspect as it come that maybe include maybe we'd say has an equity aspect that includes the ecological as well as the human component. So um, coming from that background, when I started when I got pregnant, I went about it from this place of research and thinking about it from almost a design perspective. Like what does it mean to truly have uh, a more um, ecological pregnancy to think about things around health and and where we live and how we live as it relates to another body growing inside you, another person. So, um, like, I already had some of the kind of health lens, but not so much. This, the, the health as equity or health as um, ecology really started growing more um, as I uh, moved into motherhood. And, um, you know, it, it's not a big leap, right? We see that we are defined in many ways, both the health of our bodies, by the health of the earth, by where we live, by um, those kind of aspects. And so when you're growing a body, you start to think so much more about that. And then already, if you're thinking about this with some aspect of, like most of us do now, of, um you know, a lens of, yeah, of, of, I feel like we keep saying equity, but of like who, you know, who's getting to even think about health, um, thinking about organic food, thinking about healthier cleaning products, who even gets to do that through pregnancy? It is so um, privileged to be able to do that. So, uh, so pregnancy really changed that for me. And also it was this big moment um, and then all of a sudden I was being asked to not only write, but also to to do a podcast. I mean, this was 16 years ago when I started doing some of my first green podcasting stuff on a show called Little Green People, uh, which is, you know, long since gone. And I was hired by um, the, the Nature Museum in Chicago to teach classes on uh, for parents on green parenting. And then I started just a bunch of, uh, I would call them cafes, where people would come together and talk about different aspects of health, pregnancy, raising greener kids, um, as a way to bring people closer through ideas, through information. Because I find for everybody there's who is interested in green, there's a way in. And um, right. And that might be food. That might be their children. That might be recycling. That might be the geeky stuff um, like, uh, you know, the technical stuff like, oh, my gosh, we can create power with the sun. You know, we don't need to do it this way. Uh, and I so the more we came together, I felt like around ideas and just made it uh, open. Right. Come, come. There's a place for your kid to play. There's other Usually it was women, but it was didn't have to be that, you know, <laughs> um, to have to share ideas, to share information, to share different ways in. Uh, and these groups were just so inspiring. And having come from this background in more ecological planning and more of the urban world and the corporate world with this and where I felt like 
the green movement at that time in that place was really about convincing people, convincing businesses that it made sense, convincing architects to design it into their buildings, convincing um, planners to design it into their cities. And all of a sudden, it was a complete shift, right? When you're there with a bunch of parents or soon-to-be parents, they're like they feel like they are raising the next generation. They feel embedded into the world and whether or not we can believe in a sense of hope or that things might get better because they need to believe in that. They need to feel like they're making the world something that they're they want their children to inherit. And so instead of ever needing to convince people, it was like, you know, people following me into the bathroom afterwards to, well, what about this? What about that? And that is such a beautiful shift uh, in right from anyone who cares about the sort of bigger picture. It's like, oh yes, I really only want to spend time with people who are curious and interested in dealing with um, the hard questions, right? Like, well, how do we, how do we? Um, and so that's where I spent much of the rest, like the next part of my life, which is just asking those hard questions and and doing the research and not being afraid to realize that we live and um, in a time of a great reckoning where we're trying to re reconcile basically the fundamentally irreconcilable, right? Where we are living in worlds that we have fundamentally changed, shaped, damaged, where we have hurt other people, other creatures, and yet we believe enough in the potential of doing it better to bring children into it, to or if we don't, to share with others what we're learning with the idea that we are going to somehow make this future better in some small way. Yeah, that's a great journey. And um, it is something that I think, uh, like you said, having kids for a lot of people can be transformational if they if they didn't already think about these things. But um, it's interesting that you brought up at the end, you know, whether or not people should bring or want to bring children into the world because that is a question that's coming up a lot now too with um, the climate crisis and kind of the ethical implications of that. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing your, your journey there. And I guess um, before we, we kind of jump into talking about, you know, raising greener teens in general and older kids, um, I, I'd like to kind of share with the audience, you know, what your, both of your um, situations are. So, so Chris, you have two kids. Um, I guess, tell us, you know, their age and, and a little bit about them and, and kind of maybe what you've noticed as a mom, some of the challenges or opportunities of, of raising kids sustainably. <laughs> uh, so I have two lovely children. Uh, they're 16. My daughter's 16 and my son is um, 14. And if you watch our other podcasts, you've probably seen them and heard me talk about them. Um, they are, they're just really cool people. Um, but I came from a place in motherhood where it was a big surprise <laughs> and um, I had no forethought of what this means for environmental, my bot, none of that. All it was was just we were thinking about it and then boom, all of a sudden, you know, it's happening. And um, I had a pretty decent bout of postpartum depression when I had her. So my thoughts were not on on creating this sort of environment for her and myself and our family, we, I wasn't thinking about that. And then when I came out of it, then you're sort of, 
the world sort of opens up again. You're not in your narrow scope anymore. And when I came out, it was just like, oh, okay. I don't have anybody around me who does this. I lived in a very rural town. Like I said, pregnancy was a surprise. We got, uh, so we didn't know anybody was having babies and we didn't, let alone being married and doing this. And I had come from a educational background of um, parks and forest and ecotourism. So I'd sort of like a working knowledge and my husband was like, that's cute, babe. And uh, so I'm the spearhead of all of this. And the kids came along and, you know, you for me, it was my mom groups were really integral to that. And we all supported each other. And we would talk about different methods of diapering and different, um, you know, foods we were trying and the way we were trying them with the kids and stuff. And so that was really great. Um, and they are very different people very they're two very different uh, my daughter whose name is Logan she um who Jen knows because she's met her is uh, a woman who has her stuff together and always has and so she already worries about it. she's very aware she's we've talked about it um she she wants children she understands that that's an uphill battle that she's will be bringing kids into a world that's maybe not set up the way she was brought into like the world that she was brought into and she worries about that it's a constant worry that she blatantly told me she tries not to think about um because it's it's everywhere and everybody and talks she, about it. she's so young to be that self-aware that's amazing <laughs> like I wasn't thinking she that either, so. well no and neither was I like I said she came out of the womb with her stuff together like she she just had she's not a teen she gets annoyed by other teenagers what is because she finds them annoying um but she uh she thinks about it it's a big concern for her and right now I think for her she she does what she can in terms of talking about it with her friends um at home she sort of knows the setup although I do get made fun of for it um she teases me and stuff which is totally fine she knows that um I have a big thing about bottled water so anytime we go to the grandparents she's like mom shaking the water bottle I'm like yeah I get it you're not getting it at home so whatever it's like a treat for to have a bottled water uh and then with my son my son is neurodivergent he has something called social pragmatic communication disorder um which presents very much like autism but it's not and so for him all of his thoughts and everything are locked inside and it's very interesting to parent somebody who you know, you have one who's an expert communicator and can tell you at any given time how she's feeling. And you have another kid who, whose brain won't let him. And try in talking to him about it, he can only, he's aware, he pays attention to everything. He is very present, but to get him to talk about it and to see where he's at is very difficult. So we just go with the lead by example and hope that he's, he's picked it up enough that he can see it that when he goes out into the world that he can implement those things but we have had to parent them very very differently um because for so long our son couldn't hear us he had a hearing impairment that's been fixed but then it was you know speech therapy and lots of therapy and a diagnosis and you know what do you do with a child who's on who has a neurodivergence like that? And how do you talk to them about the environment? How do you talk to them about things they're going to have to decide when they're older that are going to matter? And it's, it's 
interesting to talk to him about it. He's so cool. And he's just, I mean, like the things he comes up with are amazing and he is not living on this plane of existence. So it's, it's very interesting to talk to him about it. And when you do get something out of him and when he can focus enough to talk to you about that, it's, he knows it, he's aware. Um, but again, it flits right out of his mind because he's got other things that take precedent in his brain. So it's very different, but my hope is that I have embedded some of my things. They did say composting, that they would be composting. They get that, they understand that. I'm like, and so I'll be watching when they're older and they get out and I'll be like, no, I did that, I did that. Yeah, no, you picked that up whether you liked it or not. <laughs> so, but they do think about it and it is a big worry for them. Yeah, and it's uh, it's like for me, I, I don't have children, but um, one of the things I think about if I ever were to have kids is I, I just worry, like, how do you get them to, like, do the right thing? And not just with the environment, but just anything in life. And, and it's hard because it's like you can tell them all day, you can show them all day, but ultimately, like, they're their own person and you have mm -hmm. to hope that they like you said, retained it or have the moral capacity or whatever. And that's one of the things that scares me to death is if I ever have kids, like what if they, you know, just ignore everything I've ever taught them. And do well, the but they're people, they're people too, right? So you have to meet them where they are. They're right. their they're own autonomous little, they're individuals and they're, you know, you have to meet them where they are. They're not you. And so with us, it's like, okay, just because I care about it and it's important to me doesn't mean that it's going to be important to them the way it is to me. So how can I work with, what I got here and not force myself on them and my beliefs and, and all that kind of stuff. How do I, it's like an efficiency thing. Yeah. I got to work with the system I'm in and, and, and it's tricky though. It's tricky. Teenagers are a trip. Oh yeah. They're a total yeah. trip. <laughs> They're a total trip. <laughs> and it's, it's like awesome to watch it and also remember like, I'm so glad I'm not a teenager. <laughs> I'm so happy. Well, Amanda, I'm curious as to what your experience is. You also have two teens, right? About, about the same age, I think. Uh, yeah, just a little bit younger. So I have two girls, a 12-year-old and a, a 15, almost 16-year-old. And I, I just feel like both of you summed it up so well, but maybe it took me a little longer to get there, um, which is, I mean, fundamentally, children are their own beings that come into this world right and mm -hmm. I think that we can feel when they're younger and we do of course we have way more um agency if not in who they are um I think we can believe it's in who they are but really when they're younger what we have actually agency around is in the world around them a bit more right like we can um and again that is got a lot of privilege in it but the extent that we can you know, just be a family that recycles and composts and buy, you know, buys the most important foods organic that you can buy organic and doesn't, you know, knows the problems with bottled water and, you know, et cetera. Um, and so you can kind of create that world and then they get um, to be a teenager. And it's really, I think, this big test because Chris, you said it so well, and I think Jennifer, it's pretty amazing that you can have that insight as a non-parent already. And this is what I always say. I feel like some of us have to be parents in order to learn like the fundamental lessons of this life, which are that we are we cannot control other people, right? That we are, and and uh, and and to love them even when you can't 
control them or influence them as much as you want, et cetera. And so somehow some people just learn that without having kids and others of us have to do the whole kid thing. Um, so I think that's been a big deal. And for me with having teenagers, like my fundamental question that I want to bring to them, I think, or the, the thing that I hope for them is that I give them the tools to be those engaged, passionate, curious adults that I think we need, right? For the future that we are about to inherit, we have to be more nimble, more curious, be able to lean into people who are so different than us and and find a way forward. And um, and I, that has been something that I've also come to kind of value more or be more curious about how do we actually do this when I, as coming to Canada, because now I live in West coast Canada and that's really different than living in, um, Ohio or Chicago, which is where I lived before, uh, and having more of the sort of big city life. And also Americans, like we're really much more likely to question authority, to question the status quo. I, I think also maybe that's the, like the Irish people do that too, but I don't know. But, um, and I also notice it in Canada for people who are, you know, from like Toronto or places like that, that they might also question the status quo. But a lot of people, and that is not culturally what they've been raised to do. And boy, do we have a lot of questioning to do to move forward. And so I think, you know, this is one of my great things with having teenagers is like, how do I get them to be curious, get them to engage in asking deeper questions, get them to feel like they have some autonomy over themselves, their bodies, their lives, the the world, this the future that they're going to inhabit. And at the same time, like, getting over like what do you do when they're like actually I decided I'm going to use this really horrible antiperspirant that I know you've done the research and it's not only going to kill off my positive like you know good healthy bacteria in my arms but it's also going to you know expose me to aluminum that might lead to Alzheimer's later you know <laughs> and you're like uh I really want to give you research right now but I know that that is not the right answer so you know I mostly get it wrong quite a bit and then hope that I can, you know, everyone will live another day so I can maybe get it right then. Yeah, I mean, from what I hear, being a parent is, is you know, mostly figuring out as you go and, and um, you know, it makes us much more compassionate towards our own parents, I guess, when we look back and think, oh, this is what it was like for them. No wonder, you know, they did this or that because, um, yeah, it's impossible to, to really... <laughs> to get everything right. I mean, especially when you're dealing with, as, as Chris said, autonomous beings who are going to do their own thing, <laughs> regardless of what you tell them. Um, yeah, I don't have, like I said, I don't have kids, but I am the oldest child of many. And um, there's a pretty big age gap between myself and the youngest. So I was um, told many times and still told by the them when they were teens how old I am and how out of touch I am with so many different things. Cause I was just so much older in my twenties and thirties while they were teenagers. So, um, <laughs> that's always nice to hear, but I'm sure it was all in love. Right. <laughs> um, I, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends who were the oldest of lots of kids, um, 
did not go on to have kids because they're like, I kind of did that and I see it w- for what it is. Like, that's just hard. <laughs> yeah. I kind of raised my siblings in, in a way, like not totally, but I helped raise them. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, teenagers are an interesting bunch. And um, I think we hear a lot about sustainable parenting for younger kids and babies, especially. And cause you know, there is a lot of like waste that can go along with having kids and, and, we, we hear about that and, and the food and, you know, the health um, aspects. But I think, you know, it's interesting to talk specifically about teens. That's why I was interested in, like, bringing this onto the show. Because um, with teens, I think it is more about instilling the values. I mean, you're also trying to instill the habits and, and things that you are when they're younger. But like you said, Amanda, um, you want to kind of get them to make the right decisions and understand why this is important. So, um, that was kind of what I was thinking we could focus on today a little bit and 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 see where where the conversation goes. But um, what have you guys noticed, if anything, if you figured out you know any effective ways to kind of model good behavior and get get the teens or or even when they're younger to to pick up on it and and kind of carry that forward? You know, are there um, I guess are there are there ways of doing that or things that you've noticed are more or less effective? Probably not shoving research down their face, like you said. <laughs> is one thing not to do, but. I'm hoping Chris is going to have lots of fantastic answers. <laughs> is that too much pressure? <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, yeah, no pressure. It's totally fine. Uh, <clears throat> um, so with us, we've, uh, my husband and I have a philosophy that we are not raising children. We are raising adults to be grown up in the society they're going to be living in. So we, it's our job to give them the tools to be, uh, to trust their instincts to, to when, you know, crap hits the fan that they are like, okay, I'm going to step back, but I got this. And that we're here is their safe place. Home is where you can let it all go. So that's sort of been our philosophy. And because I am the more environmentally minded one out of this family, it's, um, my husband's been very supportive and we talk about it a lot. We're a very, very talky family. And for us, what I think has worked is we sort of, maybe not sort of, but with, with Logan specifically, because she's the one that has, um, whose brain lets her communicate, um, just talking to her about just things that happen in the world and just getting her opinion on them and talking to her like she's, um, not necessarily an adult, but that she has paid attention. Kids are sponges. They see everything. They pick up on everything, whether you think they are or not. Um, and for us, it was uh, just talking to her about, okay, so this thing happened. What do you think? And for six, also for six years, we lived uh, in a little cottage. It was about 620 square feet. Jen was there. Um on the lake and we you know it was a small space and talking to the kids about why we lived here and the whole point of it was you know six years of being immersed in nature was pretty cool but we outgrew the space and needed to leave and talk to them about that but also my decision to be with husband's support being zero waste as much as possible what does that mean why am i doing that um why does it matter what's the point um, and then now as Logan's gotten older, she's talking about getting her driver's license. We have an electric car. What does that mean? Why did we buy it? Just talking to her about, you know, things she's going to have to start thinking about and seeing where she's at and then meeting her there because she is, she's her own person. She's got a double dose of stubbornness from both of us. So 
we can't, we learned very early, we cannot cast ourselves upon her. She, she will put up, she's, her karate teacher called her the most stubborn four-year-old he'd ever met. And she actually got kicked out of karate because of that. She refused to listen. So knowing that about her, knowing it's not about, um, she will never succumb to peer pressure. She will never succumb to that. So it's just telling her or asking her questions about her life, asking her questions about her friends, asking them what they talk about. Um, and, and, you know, asking her not so much world events so much. Sometimes we do. We've talked about Ukraine. We've talked about that a, a political environment. She's two years away from being able to vote. Um, she's much more politically aware than I am. I am ashamed to say I didn't vote till I was 34 uh, because I just wasn't. And uh, yeah, and then with Quinn, it's a lot of modeling. It's a lot of physically modeling for him because like I said, talking is a struggle for him and communicating is a struggle. So for him, he sees everything and he hears everything. He just can't talk about it. Um, so that's what we do is one we can talk to the other one is 180 we have to do practices and it's you know we have an electric mower what does that mean why did we get it price of gas my daughter's been very aware of that because we keep a log and i know in bc it's more expensive i think gas in bc has always been more expensive than in ontario i don't know why um but she saw it the other day and she's like what and i told her and i showed her the log and she looked back and she just was mind blown by that. And I couldn't fill up the tank because it was going to cost $100. And uh, yeah, just things like it. So she's picking up on things probably more than I know. And uh, she also has a, a, a generalized anxiety and OCD. So there's only also so far I can go with that before it becomes a deep-seated worry. And then it, it seems becomes a thing. Yeah, it seems like your approach is like you said you're you're treating them like adults so you're you're communicating them with them uh, which is great because you're because because it always sucks when you were a kid and people were just like oh just do it because I said so and didn't give you the background like yeah. they're not likely I, I don't feel like kids are gonna be likely to carry on habits if you just tell them to do it and don't tell them the why right so that yeah. I think that's great and also I think like including her in the discussion and maybe like asking for her input is a good thing too, because then she's more likely to feel empowered and like, oh, I can actually do this because mm -hmm. I knew what I was talking about or, you know, like I had a good idea and they did it. So I love that. Like you're, you're, you're treating them like they're adults, the, the adults they're going to be because they're going to be the ones eventually running their own lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they are. And they, when you think of a, a lifespan of a human, they're children for like this amount and they're adults for so much longer, you know, and well, childhood is a magical, wonderful experience. Um, and it is, it's wonderful. And it's also wonderful to watch, which is one of my favorite things about being a parent is just watching the magic happen. Um, life is also messy and complicated and talking to them like they don't know, like teenagers is a weird thing, right? Like, cause you're, you're very aware um, and you want a lot of responsibility. You want to prove yourself, but you have people around you telling you, you don't know any better, you're too young, but still expecting you to have all this responsibility and make these choices. So it's like this, your brain's not fully developed. It's still doing its frontal lobe thing till you're 25. And it's just very intense. And 
you know, not, you don't have to, you know, shielding them is a terrible thing. Not letting them experience pain and discomfort and mistakes is also not great either. Um, but yeah, you just want to be aware and pay attention. And there's these, um, so I did a little studying of big history and there's like four different tenets when you're looking at research, because you also have to be a smart research researcher as well. Um, and a smart, um, smart consumer of media. You don't want to just, just because Facebook said it, that means it's true because we all know what happens with that. <laughs> bad things happen when you just believe crap on Facebook. So is it, trust your intuition, um, trust the expert, like who's saying it? Um, uh, there's, and I can't remember them now that I'm saying them, your intuition, the expert, um, the information that's there and just using your own judgment to consume that media and what does that mean and yeah we ask a lot of questions around here it's a lot of questions a lot of talks yeah that's what, <laughs> i don't know if that like it, it, but that works for our family what works for your family would be you know different because your kids are different and you have to be parents you parent each kid according to what they need and that's what I, ours need i i just loves the way that you frame that i'm like oh i want her to be my parent <laughs> and i think that is the um yeah you know like they get they, they your kids grow up and i it does get harder and i think you see like with someone you know like you chris i'm like oh you got it really fast um that kind of i mean it seems you know it's always easier to <laughs> Yeah. to idolize the, the person who is not you uh, <laughs> and how they're doing it. But, you know, I think that aspect is really a big deal. Just sort of realizing that you like you have been given these, as Chris says, autonomous beings and how do you meet them and how fundamentally what we seem to be failing at so much is raising future adults. So we really like the way that you talk about that. And um, and I think that comes, that's a nicer way of sort of saying the thing that I also try to prioritize and what I, um, you know, I always sort of go at, like when I'm with the Raising Greener Teens podcast and things like that, and also with all my books, I'm going after the parents, right? Because fundamentally, we are the ones often that have to do the changing. Like the 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 kids are are doing their thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're the ones who, you know, and when they're little, um, uh, whether you, particularly if you have a biological child, you have all those hormones that are part of your pregnancy process are there in large part to help change your brain. So a new parent, even a non-biological parent will go through, an involved non-biological parent will go through uh, massive amounts of brain changes. And for the new mom, it's the largest brain change after adolescence. So, you know, I think you get to the teenage years and you need to, and your child is going through the hugest brain change since their toddler years, but you don't have any of that leftover oxytocin and all that stuff to make your brain all squishy and malleable because really a parent in order to, I think, survive through those and thrive through those teenage years has got to be going through their own brain changes, right? Like we've got to do what we like, what our kids are doing, which is fundamentally be melted down and reborn into the like new adult versions of themselves and ourselves. And so I think it's a fantastic opportunity, but boy, is it 
hard. And this is where I do think we reap the benefits of having been those parents who questioned things, made alternative choices, instinctively said, listen, this feels harder, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, of course, like Chris, you're saying, I mean, you know, zero waste in a little cottage, <laughs> that's hard. Like that is so hard. It's so hard. Fundamentally, you're making a tiny little difference in the, you know, in the world. But why do you do it? You do it because one, you're modeling something amazing to your children, but you're also doing it because you have just gone through a massive brain change, basically an exercise that means that you are able to to take charge, think differently about your life and setting up a precedent that it just means like, oh, okay, it's not gonna be as hard for you to figure out this totally new way of being so that you can be there for your, you know, further along the adult path children. And I just think, I really admire that. Um, and I've not really thought about that part of things with my own path until you shared that story. So. Um, and I think it is important. And so when I think about like the teenage years and the things that I'm constantly, you know, like when I bring experts onto my podcast to talk about, often I'm talking to them about like, what is happening in their brains? Like what is going on? <laughs> and um, because that's the way I get relief, right? I get relief from a whole bunch of research. It makes me feel um, even if I can't change anything, at least I understand what's going on. The, um, I, I, so, and the other thing that is a big deal that, you know, under the realm of brain changes is the, like, are the drugs. Like, there is a lot of, um, I mean, there's always been drugs, but now, particularly in, in BC, um, we are super, super deep into an opioid crisis. We have lost so many more people to uh, dirty drugs and opioids than we have even come close to losing people from COVID. It is a huge issue. Um, and I don't know a teenager out here that has not, uh, you know, that doesn't know someone who they've lost to uh, the opioid crisis or dirty drugs. So, the, so at least out here, this is a big part of, of the teenage experience um, is them understanding that they're growing up with a really different world around experimentation. And, you know, I don't like, you know, I want to approach this often with my children through that lens of research. I'm like, so just so you know, this is what's going to happen to your brain, you know, <laughs> it's developing if you do too much drugs. And, you know, but I've also um, we, I run something here called Folk University on our little island, which is um, basically it's a people's university and the idea is just sharing information, sharing ideas, etc. So both of my kids have done uh, harm reduction classes. They've both learned how to use naloxone. They, my youngest learned when she was nine, um, which is of course way earlier than she's ever going to be exposed to someone having an overdose. But the idea being that nobody anymore I don't think any teenager should grow up and not understand how to use an naloxone kit. Um, just like I, so, you know, that's a, a big deal and just sort of, and here there's, you know, we we live in this very, like this very, very remote community. Uh, everybody knows how to grow food. Everybody composts. Everybody has that sort of awareness of, 
of where their water comes from, what it takes to have a well, what it takes to maintain it, what it takes to um, deal with your waste. A lot of people uh, in this community don't have running water. They use composting toilets. Everybody, you know, all kids grow up here and know how to start fires, build fires, maintain fires, use knives, whittle, et cetera. These are, I think, really important life skills that I'm just like, oh, what a gift to give kids. Think about the effort that you have to go to give kids that essentiality of what it means to be human right now if you live in an urban area, which I used to. So I think it's pretty amazing when I see out here um, those kinds of things and just sort of the awareness that comes around then food and um, what you're putting in your body. For me, I've also had to give up a little bit on that. You know, I, I've just I, like I make still a lot of food from scratch. We grow a lot of our food. We um, my oldest has learned how to slaughter chickens. We like we like so much more of that is at that level when you live, um, you know, uh, rurally or remotely. Um, and, you know, and then I have to give up some of the like, dear God, you brought home Mr. Noodle. And that's like your idea of what you're going to feed all your friends for dinner. Like, you know, do you know the MSG in there? <laughs> so I, you know, I think there is a little bit of this like, okay, I hope that you've experienced enough curiosity enough of what it feels like to have made good food choices, a good whatever in your life that you can, you know, experiment and, um, uh, you know, and I will like fuddle around a little bit, but I also really appreciate that, like my, my oldest daughter is able to, you know, really talk to me sensibly about like, well, mom, you know, like, so I'm doing this, like, I understand it's not good for me and I'm still going to do it because I'm a teenager or, you know, so, Yes, my, you know, so-and-so friend is smoking pot, but, you know, and yes, they're smoking too much. And I understand, like, you know, I've tried to tell them what that's going to do to their brain, but at least they're growing their own. <laughs> so I, um, uh, so I, you know, I, when some of the things that I focused on also, besides being really smart with drugs, um, and, and drug awareness, uh, food choices, um, skin and makeup and body care products, what we put on our skin, you know, as our kids age, their skin becomes more like an adult skin, which is somewhat less porous than a baby skin, but nevertheless, it is a more direct entry into your body than what you eat. So it's amazing what we put on our skin. And then certainly teenagers are under a lot of pressure to, um, put a lot more funky things on their skin. Um, and I, maybe I'm just lucky. Like I'm, I feel like I'm kind of lucky because my oldest daughter has really sensitive skin. That's also very like clear and relatively flawless. So I think like she can't put anything strange on her skin without you know <laughs> things happening. So I'm just lucky in that way because she's had to be thoughtful about it and um, and is curious and wants to listen to people who are not me, but maybe a little bit more holistic, talk to them about what to do with skin and what, and diet and how those are related and um, what you're put in your body and how it matters. Uh, and so, and then I think, um, you know, kids are really very differently aware about the world than when I was young too. Like they're really growing up in a time when there's so much more, you know, as you talking about Chris with your teenager, like they, 
both my kids are sort of like, I don't know if I'm going to have children who, you know, who was like, I don't know that I want to bring children into this world. And I think I have a lot of grief around that. I really feel like, you know, those are the kids, especially like those are the people who you especially want having the kids of the future. But um, I think this is the reality is that I don't feel, I really feel no pressure to sort of wake them up to like the environmental consequences of their time because they're so awake. Uh, and I heard someone talk about it the other day, actually, and I thought this was really great. You know how we talk about um, tech, like tech natives um, uh, and and all, you know, and us sort of older people who've had to learn uh, computers and um, smartphones and all those things, at, you know, after we had our relatively formed brains. And by the way, it only takes three days for a person to have their brain completely rewire after being exposed to screens and computers and things like that. But as we all know, we are just not the same when it comes to technology as that younger generation who was born into it. And someone used that same phrase to talk about climate uh, and climate change and how this generation, they are climate natives. Like they came into a world where they just knew from the beginning that it was not going to be the way we assumed it would be for us when we grew up. And interestingly enough, when I talk to young adults and older teens now, they're very aware of it, but it's not its not always like the thing, right? Like the thing for them often is more around um, like navigating a world with where everybody has now has so many neurological differences and so much more awareness of um, the, how different uh, their peers are showing up in the world. Everybody is more aware about gender and um, and uh, the the vast uh, fluidity and options that are available. Everyone seems more aware about just the the role that discrimination um, ha is playing and has played. You know, and so I feel like wow, these kids are really awake to a lot of things that. Now I feel almost the opposite. It's like, how do we get them to also feel the joy, the relief, the the safety to lean into new ideas and to get out of the house, to take risks, to get things wrong, to fail, to fail, to fail, to have enough safety to fail? Boy, like that is not the world we've given them, right? With cancel culture and and dirty drugs and everything else. Like, I just feel like we took away the most essential teenage thing, which is the safety to fail so that you can get, you can get up and try again. And yeah, I guess those are the things that I just wish that I had more answers to. Man, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack there, but I could certainly relate to the, um, the question of, you know, should I have kids and, and bring them into this world? And like you said, like you want the responsible smart folks who are, are thinking about these hard questions to be the ones having kids, but they're also the ones that realize like, yeah, that's part of the problem is having more kids and, and consumption and, and also just what world will they be inheriting? And and we'll actually be, I'll actually be talking to, to someone else on the Ecoparent Network about that a little bit next month or, or in our next episode. So um, that should be an interesting conversation. But um, yeah, the, the teens are struggling with these hard questions that I, I don't remember struggling with at that age. And certainly my peers weren't, um, you know, I, I think about people like Greta who are, you know, I mean, Greta Thunberg, who is just taking the world by storm and, 
she's so angry and rightfully so, you know, about the world that she's inheriting. And it's, um, it's sad because you feel, you know, a lot of guilt as kind of the generation before, even if you weren't the one to like, screw everything up. Um, but you also, you know, want to try to show them that there is still good in the world, like you said, and, and how do we, I guess, keep the hope alive um, for the kids who are growing up with the world on fire and, and seeing the negative news all the time and everything. Um, I hadn't, I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way because I always just thought, how do we make them aware of the problems? But, but they probably are more aware than we, than we give them credit for <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, so I, you mentioned too um, that, you know, kids are, are hearing from a lot of different people. They're learning things from their peers. Um, and, and so I'm curious as to, I guess, uh, if you all have any experience with not only what they're learning from their peers, but maybe what they're learning at school um, about not just the climate, but sustainable consumption. And, um, you know, maybe are they learning how to appreciate nature, how to grow things? Or I know when I was in school, you know, we didn't really learn much about that stuff. Um, I did learn about climate change, but I guess more of the appreciation for the natural world. Do you guys see that changing at all? Or is it still very focused on just the math, science, English kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I know for my kids, it's a little, a little hard. They don't talk a whole lot about school. And I'm trying to remember what we did in school. Like we had our recycling programs, you know, Captain Planet telling us to cut the little plastic rings and stuff. And, you know, now I can't not do that. Uh, and now my kids do that. I watched my son do that the other day and I'm like, oh, Captain Planet. Uh, and then, so I know my, I know history, the history that's being taught is a lot different than the history that I was taught. So Canadian history, from my recollection, was talking about Laura Secord and the Hudson Bay Company and, uh, you know, the, uh, the fur trades and just the routes that they took things like geographical like hard facts uh we didn't learn about residential schools we did i didn't know about residential schools till i was an adult and it pissed me off i'm like i didn't learn any of this in canadian history it was just how the caucus runs when do they meet how long are elections that kind of thing and the fact that my daughter and history is compulsory in, in uh high school you have to take it at least for one year and her learning about those things and talking to me about them and um, just being made aware of, like my dad was a, a Ontario a provincial police. We don't have RCMP here, we have Ontario provincial police. And when I was a toddler, we lived in Northern Ontario and we lived on a reserve. And I have no memory of it, but just hearing the stories of it and I lived there and I don't remember it, but it, it hasn't changed. It's still the same. The reparations aren't there. It's just this, we don't talk, we didn't learn about it. And the fact that they're learning about it now, about all the history, bad, good, otherwise, because um, Canada may seem very polite and we say A a lot and we love maple syrup, but we have a long history too of not being fantastic. And you know, we'll, you know, because we're still a very young country. We're still trying to figure it all out. And we have a history of being pretty Wait, terrible are you, are you, people here. Are you saying that talking about the bad things in our past is, is actually a good thing? <gasps> what? That's a novel concept. Isn't it? <laughs> we have very short memories as humans. Our memories are not long and we forget. And 
you know, so when these things come up, we're, we're baffled. Like, what? We're not like that anymore. It's like, ah, a little bit. And uh, so I'm happy that all of this is coming to light and that they're actually learning about it. And it's the honest truth, not what looks good or what sounded good or what the winners tell us. And um, so I know that's different. Um, I don't know. They go to a small high school. It's a seven through 12. So they both go to the same school. And I don't know much about what else that they're like taking. It's just more the way the teachers teach is just different altogether across the board. It's far more interactive. Um, although my daughter's first year of high school was pretty much online, which was a very bizarre experience for her. Uh, and, and so and same for my son, who, you know, we thought it would be great because there's less distractions at home. Uh, it turned out to be awful because there's more distractions at home, as it turns out. Uh, so there's that whole thing. Uh, but they're far more interactive with the students now. They're far more empathetic with their students. Um, at least our experience is that they are far more aware of the different ways students learn than the way we grew up. Um, which is which is great because my son, you know, when my son is academically he's not a red flag he's actually very smart um his teachers understand him and they understand you know he's capable we have to tweak it a bit but he's totally capable of doing this and they give him that environment so I feel like just having an environment where the people who are teaching you things are more available to you and more willing to have that those conversations is and and they're willing to question things too you know the whole do as I say not as I do thing does not fly anymore you can't just tell kids to shut up because they're not listening to you as soon as you start doing that you're like okay well now I'm not going to listen to you at all you just told me to be quiet so that's a surefire way to get a teenager not to listen to you sit there and tell them that you know more than they do which may be true but you know you they know a lot too um so next year my daughter is going to be in grade 11 and my son will be starting high school and there's, you know, there's things they have to take, you know, have to take science and math and English and phys ed and stuff like that. But I'm interested to see where they, you know, where they want to go with that right now. My son wants to be a zoologist, which is great. He just backup is, well, the zoology is the backup degree. He really wants to be an author, but he's got to have a backup. So he's being responsible with the zoology <laughs> in his words. Um, and, you know, my daughter doesn't know. She has no clue. It changes all the time. And that's okay. And so she's exploring everything. But having those teachers understand, you know, that that's what's supposed to happen. They're supposed to explore everything. You know, at 18 knows what the heck they want to do with the rest of their life. That's a huge burden to put on a kid. No, 37 and I don't know, you know. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think I'm we ever 40. figured it out. <laughs> I'm 40 and I have no clue and I'll never figure it out. But to just yeah. give them, you know, the tools that they feel comfortable questioning yeah. authority. Or just, just not in a dis disrespectful way, but being like, okay, but why? And, you know. Yeah. And me, like, I want to know what you mean by that. I just want to understand where you're coming from. Yeah, the whole, this is how we've always done it. Yeah, that's response terrible. doesn't work. Yeah, like I, I mean, I you encounter that in the workforce all the time. Like, well, this is how we we do it, but why? It doesn't make sense. There's an easier way. There's a new tool. Like, 
um, it's good that we have a generation coming up that's just not going to take that because it's unproductive. It's waste. It's a waste of people's time and money and resources yeah. and, and just yeah, like we have better yeah. things to do. <laughs> also, um, Amanda, I would like to grow up where you are because that sounds awesome. That was like my dream when you started talking about. It. I'm like, oh, where's that here? I would like to go live there. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And it that your kids are growing up in that is amazing. Um, and it's you know my kids aren't experiencing that we live in completely different you know geographical parts of the country but you know when you grow up in a community of like-minded people it's a wonderful it's a wonderful experience and you feel more rooted in your beliefs too because you've had that um that culture around you so when you go out you know you've got it you're solid with what you believe in you know you take that with you so it's just that environment you've got your kids that's amazing that sounds awesome (laughs) I think it, yeah, I, uh, I thank you, Chris. And I think there is, particularly for the young kid, it's really amazing for the teenager. It's really lonely. Um, we are one of the communities in Canada that still has no high school. And so we have to, you have to send your kids away, um, uh, including, even though we have a large reserve. And so as coming from a different country, I'm always like, but that's, that is residential school when you don't provide education and you have to leave your culture and send kids somewhere with the hopes that someone will take them in and then pay what like many hundreds usually well over a thousand dollars a month to board them into some other community right so um that's that is the situation where we live so my uh kids are still here in this remote community with us but then when you have a community where you have where you send your teenagers away, um, the the families who have the resources also leave, and and often don't come back, and so it it really devastates a community. Um, and I think it's still pretty remarkable to me that that Canada, which is this big huge country that has long had to figure out education across massive distances is still allowing hundreds of its rural and remote students and families to go without any access to education. Um, and I think that this is maybe the great the great gift of COVID. Um, you know, in our community, I think when things shut down, they shut down entirely, didn't go online because there's too many people here who didn't have access to computers or internet. Um, so, um, but what I think it did was to show the world that um, that there are other ways like that, right? Like that we can't just pretend that education only looks one way anymore. Well, huh, you, you, we just broke it open. We see now that education can look a lot of ways. And we also see that sitting in front of a computer um, and calling it like the complete deal is not enough, right? So, like teenagers particularly need each other. Neurologically, they have to have that a little bit of that tribe. So I think, you know, on one hand, I want to just say that my also experience, which has been really different from a school, like we've had to do a bunch of homeschooling. We've There's a little school on the island that we used when the kids were younger we've um now the kids go to a blended program so twice a week they travel more than four hours um for a day to to go and be part of a school experience and half that's on a boat uh so you know school looks like a crazy amount of trying to put it together but i would say that i think that we are at a place where 
there, you know, school is a huge bureaucracy from my experience, um, and, and, and Canada and, um, and in North America and most countries, I think it's become sort of a, a bureaucracy belabored by its infrastructure that has stopped, that no longer knows what question it is trying to answer. You know, is it about creating the best education for the youth? Is it about creating the future leaders? Is it about creating future factory workers? Is it about daycare? Is it what what are we doing with school? Because um, I think the question informs the answer. And I would say that it's amazing to see how much progress is being made around uh, reconciliation. And actually, you know, there is not a kid today that I know uh, any age who can't speak somewhat intelligently about the indigenous experience and how recent uh, we were still um, perpetuating the crimes and, uh, you know, of, of residential school. That's pretty amazing that that change happened in one generation. Um, and so that's pretty cool. And that's happening out of school. And I think there are these things that are starting to change where we're realizing so on our little island next year we've started this program where kids get to as part of their public school experience come here for a semester and they are going to be in kayaks and hiking and working with working scientists who are going to come and teach them about the marine environment they're going to learn about uh, seaweed aqua growth growing and aquaculture and sustainable aquaculture and the future of the blue economy and they're going to learn how to make their own podcasts about these kinds of things and they're going to uh, uh, learn to make their own films and they're going to get high school credit for that stuff so like th and this is happening with our school district so within this great I would call it maybe almost like an abyss of like things not happening and huge amounts of needs there are these sparks also like that's school you know that's like the best summer camp ever and we're figuring out how to like have that be school so there are these gems of of possibility and I still am either naive or <laughs> hopeful enough to think those gems can spread, right? As soon as one thing is done like that, then it becomes easier for the next person to hopefully, um, you know, learn from that and plant their own seed in their own community. So I, but I would also say that I think that a large part of what school is for teenagers is about having a chance to practice out these ways of being with each other. Um, and, you know, so I do hope that we figure out better and more creative ways to do that. But, uh, and, you know, in the meantime, I think, um, yeah, like, like that's what it is. And, and teenagers have changed so much uh, with, with, you know, their, what they're grappling with. Um, so I would like to see more happen, I guess, on that front. But I do think, you know, it's important to recognize some stuff has happened. I love that uh, you're, you know, these these programs you're talking about, like hands on activities, getting out in nature. I love the idea of that. And I wish, like you said, they were more the rule and not the exception. It seems like these schools are just specialized um, or, you know, short term kind of options and and I wish more schools in general were just implementing that kind of thinking and activity into their daily routine rather than focusing on you know tests standardized tests and memorization and um, you know 
skills that aren't actually going to serve us <laughs> in the long run. Um, I mean, I'm all about learning, you know, a myriad of things, but but we definitely need to be focusing, I think, more on the holistic and the um, the natural world in that way. And um, as Chris said, you know, talking about the hard things, especially in the U.S., we've had a lot of, um, <laughs> as I'm sure everyone knows, um, issues with trying to ban certain knowledge from being talked about in schools, certain books. Um, and it's it's very scary when you start censoring that kind of information about whole cultures, whole, you know, groups of people. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not a great place to be going. And, and I want to see the opposite <laughs> happening. So, um, but like you said, I think our kids are, are smart enough to kind of know when they're being you know, hoodwinked like that, like they're picking up on this isn't re reflective of the people around me or the experiences I'm having. So I'm hopeful that, um, you know, the people that are trying to keep the information out of their hands aren't successful. And um, ultimately we can, you know, see see these kids kind of, you know, overcome that <laughs> if, if they go into place. Um, I, I, I want to ask you guys a question. Yeah. What are you seeing as far as um, higher education? Uh, like what, how is that being valued both with young adults and with teenagers right now? Um, you know, what do people think about that? How much of a priority is it for workplace, you know, for jobs, for, for just, yeah. Like how are people holding that now? Uh, what specifically are you referring well, to just like yeah, I mean, like, do you people like do our like our teenagers today? Do they feel like yes, I'm for sure going to university. I'm going to do a four year university. That's the thing I want to do, or or are they thinking about other things? And and in the workforce and with young adults, are they? Is there this like, oh, I should get another degree, or I should go back to school, or I should do this, or is it leaning somewhere else, like towards? trades programs or practical skills or just learning on the job like where where yeah. where are you feeling things where you are well my experience having two siblings well more than two actually and have other siblings but um the two that i kind of grew up with that graduated high school in the last five years um didn't go on to go straight into school one of them went into the workforce and the other one um, started working more recently. And now the one in the workforce is looking at going to trade school. And, you know, I was very big on like trying to get them into school, at least for a trade or um, if not a, a full-time degree, because I don't believe that everybody needs, you know, a college four-year degree. Um, that's, that's not practical, nor are there the jobs to support that, but we do need people to do, you know, the trade work and, and whatever else. Um, but since, you know, he didn't know what he wanted to do, I thought, well, try, try different things. So he's just now getting to that point where he's ready to start exploring that. And I think more kids now are seeing that like, yeah, like you got all these degrees and that's not getting you anywhere or you're still going to school. So why should I even bother? You know, I think so. I think there's more of a focus on either getting a trade or getting um, into the workforce and then figuring it out. Maybe um, like I know when I went to school, it was all you heard about was the four year degree. But then I worked in higher education and, and we kind of we worked at a community college and um, we did the trade schools and, and, the, and the associates degrees. And it was like, you can find, you know, a job making more money doing some of those jobs than I was making with my four year degree and paying off student loans. Um, 
so I think the focus needs to shift and it is slowly shifting on to some of the, the high skilled, high demand jobs that um, people just didn't think about before. Um, but I also think it depends on like where you live and, you know, your, your family, like a lot of families are just going to push their kids straight into the college funnel and, um, and everything, at least, at least where I am. So I don't know if Chris has a different experience. Um, I, I know like I have a diploma and a post diploma and my husband has a certificate. So he actually, it's like a level down. It's ridiculous. But, um, uh, with the kids, we told them, if you don't know, which is fine at 18, how are you supposed to have it all figured out? Uh, if you're not sure what school to apply to and you would and you want to have that secondary post-secondary experience, go to trade school because trades are always one of those things that are needed. And oftentimes they'll pay you to go to school. And while you're we're, and you can get a job and while you're figuring out your life and being able to support yourself, um, maybe you'll have a spark of inspiration and you find you want to go to school for this. That's great. We're not pushing it, but I, I do find now, especially with sort of social media and kids are far more entrepreneurial than we than I remember it being right. They have access to way more platforms and information and mentors and all that kind of stuff than than we did. But I was also part of the generation of like, you will go to school, you go to post-secondary. That's not an option. And then you go and you get out and you're like, what was that? <laughs> No, <laughs> was it necessary? I mean, I don't regret. Not, I mean, I loved going to school. It was fun. It was it was an amazing experience, and it taught me a lot about myself and being an independent person. But I don't use my diplomas. I don't use I don't use them. I've been a stay at home mom for sixteen and a half years, so I don't you know talk about ecotourism to my kids. They don't get. They don't you know some part of their uh their radar but yeah we don't we haven't pushed it but it's like you do have to be able to take care of yourself you are going to have to make money much to the chagrin of my husband we do not live in a gene roddenberry utopia where money doesn't exist so you have to you have to be able to support yourself in some way so is that going to trade school um those are always needed there's never a shortage of because of the infrastructure we have, there's no shortage of electricians are going to be needed, or plumbers, or a carpenter, or whatever. They're always going to be needed, and you can go anywhere with that. Um, or do you know and go there? And if you get halfway through and you decide that this is a nightmare and I don't want to do this anymore, and you change your mind, that's okay too. You don't have to stay stuck with it. My niece is at McGill right now. She's just finished up her second year, and halfway through her first year, she's like, oh. Nope, I need to switch. I need to switch departments because this is not what I thought it was going to be. And she has, and she loves the program she's in now. But she had to, you know, she had to figure it out for herself. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's this big. At least I don't feel like there's this big push that you must go to post-secondary. You have to go or you won't get a job. There's so many. Yeah. The world is completely different that way now. Like getting a degree for the sake of getting a degree isn't as big of a thing now. I think it's more, well, and I think too, like our generation and the ones that followed it are more inclined to find a job that they enjoy doing and they're not going to stick around for a job that is not um, fulfilling, you know, like I was part of the great resignation during COVID because I realized like, I, I enjoy my job. I like the people I work with, but this isn't what I want to do long-term and I, and 
life is short and anything can happen and I need to go ahead and, you know, take advantage of as soon as I'm able to um, figuring out my next step. So I think the, the newer, the younger generations are, are seeing that and just kind of grew up with that mindset. Like you, like you said, with the other stuff, Amanda, like that's just a given for that. Yeah, thank you for for sharing your experiences. Because it feels to me really different here than when I was young. Like I was definitely, um, you know, I mean, my family we all did different things, but it was sort of like if you could, if you had access, you went and got more education and more education. And I have, you know, advanced degree and all this stuff. And I, um, uh, you know, and I, I. It, like, and I feel like that's not the world now. Like most of the kids I know um, around me are not going on to, to traditional university or if they do, they're not like, it's like, it's sort of why bother because they're not doing uh, anything with those degrees. Okay, ladies. Well, uh, is there anything else we haven't talked about or, you know, covered um, relating to green teens that you guys want to throw in before we move on? One of the questions I would have is, um, for both of you really is around um, screens and technology. And I think this is one of the things that in the green movement as adults that we don't really talk enough about, which is the consequences of our own technology use. Um, and how much they're changing our brains, but also I think our kind of awareness of the world around us, whether that's human or ecological. And then certainly this comes up with teenagers because they're growing up with the kinds of pressures around technology and screen use that we, I mean, it's it's almost hard to imagine <laughs> other than the fact that we're living with it. And then, you know, we just spent two and a half years where a large part of all of our interactions have been uh, through screens. And I'm wondering how you guys are dealing with that in your own lives, whether you're seeing it influence or impact the way people are showing up for kind of the bigger picture or the things that we you feel like we ought to be. Do you want to go, Chris? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so screen time is always one of those things um, that I feel I don't, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I feel a lot of things, but it's hard to articulate. Um, with our kids, um, when they were younger, um, because Ray and I are such big movie geeks and TV geeks, and um, a lot of our first parts of our relationship were formed by going to movies and, and you know, bonding over that. Uh, with the kids, it was the whole experience of going to the movie theaters and, you know, movies in general and bonding over that with the kids. With um, Logan, she, um, social media was one of those things where I was like, really like, <laughs> like, if I had social media as a teenager, I would have a lot more complexes than I do already. So that was a bonus not to have it. Plus the, the stuff I did, I'm glad there's no record of it because yikes. Um, so we had talked to her at length, talked to her about, you know, social media, what does it mean? Or her, her friends weren't on it. Um, she was kind of wonderfully in a late bloomer club, which was fantastic because there was no pressure to be on it. Um, she has two older cousins that were, but again, she didn't feel any pressure. We started, she's, we started with Instagram, um, 
because it was, you know, the one that you could make it private, you could control who followed you, who you followed, all that kind of stuff. There was a lot of rules surrounding that. We kind of dipped our toes in. Now she has TikTok, which I don't understand. Um, and then, you know, our son being the way, you know, with his disorder, he technology was a bridge for communication for him. So we view it very differently. Um, uh, technology for him and screens for him is a way for us to see into his world and a way for us to communicate with him and uh, get to know him better and for him to be able to express himself and to basically let us in and help him experience the world. So we have a very different view that way on technology, seeing it as sort of, it's a wonderful help for us with him, with his specific disorder. Um, can there be too much? Absolutely. I did have to you know, there's limits, especially during summertime, you know, we can't be on it all day as much as that would be great. We can't, we can't, you know, you got to get up, you got to move around. There's other things in the world we're going to do. Um, so there's moderating it, but again, I don't, the moment you start making something taboo, the moment the kids are like, okay, guess what I'm doing the moment I get out. <laughs> and then they overindulge. And then there's no way for them to be able to regulate it because they never learned those skills because you've made something so like never and never really explained it right like you're just you know so we never made a taboo we never made anything there's rules there's regulations there's you know but the older they get the less and less they get because you know they they need to know how to police themselves that way too um when it came to school online that was a nightmare that first those first three two months for school was a joke and I felt for the teachers teachers don't get enough credit for this trying to put all of school online with the limited amount of resources and programs that they had must have been so stressful and just they'll probably be dealing with the aftermath of that for a long time and I, you know, my hats off to them. That was just an amazing, incredible responsibility. Um, it got it got better last year. I know where we were in Ontario. We were we had a very back and forth swing of lockdowns and not lockdowns and lockdowns and not lockdowns. So the last one was this past January, where the kids weren't at school for the first two weeks after three weeks after Christmas break, um, and they were back online. Um, but technologies one of those things where we try to have a balance of time because we love it we love movies we love television um this is how we talk to our friends in texas this is our family you know who live in a different country um who we've been you know this is the only way we get to talk to them and so it's very and especially was very important over covid for us to have like we would play games on discord um which was huge before Jen um, moved to Ireland. And that's what we would spend the first part of our pandemic. And I know for me mentally, that's how I, it, it helped. Um, but yeah, too much, it, the poisons in the dosage, too much of a good thing is not great. So it's teaching them the balance and teaching them that they have the tools to be able to regulate for them and know when too much is too much. I agree. I, you know, as a non-parent, it's easy for me to like, and I recognize this about myself, to, to, to judge, <laughs> to look at parents that use the screens as, as uh, basically as the babysitter and think, oh, God, like, ugh, 
you're being lazy or you're you're letting you know the the screen take over or whatever but i also recognize that you know there's a time and place for it so if it's you know in limited quantities if it's timed or or um kind of spaced out then th that's probably fine i mean i watched tv growing up i didn't sit in front of the tv all the time but I think I, I have an issue when it's, you know, the kids are constantly on the screens everywhere you go at the restaurant, in the car, at the house, you know, and they don't go outside and they don't interact with other kids. And I see that more as a, you know, like a developmental um, issue for the kids. In my view, it's like, well, they're not going to learn to function in these other ways or they're only going to want to do this one thing. Um, but again, I don't have kids. So it's easy for me to say that because I understand like once you're raising them, a lot of things happen and sometimes you just need that break. Um, as a, you know, person consuming media, I definitely have to be conscious of how much I use the screen and how much I use social media, especially. And um, for me, a lot of it's just avoidance. Like I didn't have Instagram for a long time and now I don't have TikTok and I swear I'm never going to get it. And I'm sure I will at some point because I said that about Instagram, but um, it's more about just not, you know, not looking at it. Like I don't even log in. I, I you know, stay away from it. Um, and that seems to help me like limit you know how much I use it but I because I know once I start it'll be really hard to like pull away from it and I've seen how much time gets wasted by kids and adults and I'm just like it's really hard because like Chris said you you get you do there are good things about it you know technology helps connect us and keep us help us keep up with the people we you know love across the world and um, I love that about it but I hate how much of a distraction it's become and it has Social media has also become kind of dangerous in a lot of circumstances when disinformation spread and when, especially, you know, like, um, you know, not to get too political, but like political uprisings that promote certain ideologies in other countries or our own country that um, are just blatantly dangerous to certain groups of people. Um, that's when I start worrying about, you know, uh, the extent of our reliance on these devices. And I don't know, personally, I also have kind of a strange phobia of um, I need to be able to do the things my phone can do for me just in case it ever dies or I'm in a situation where I don't have internet. So like I need to know how to read a map and read a bus schedule. And, you know, like I rely on my phone for all that, but I still want to know how to do it for myself because I have this weird fear of like, I don't know, getting stranded in a foreign country and <laughs> not being able to support myself. Um, so I always try to still like you know, know how to do the things that I'm asking my phone to do when I'm able to. So I don't know if that answered your question, but. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's so interesting, right? Because we only talk about often media and social media and screens in context of children. But really what I see, particularly once they get to be teenagers, is they're, it's, they're just doing what everybody around them is doing. So I, I you know, and I think like it's, and we're in this interesting in between place as people, you know, as people, as adults now who are the generation that are really bridging, um, like the generations, right? Like we're, as we're stepping into leadership and we're the ones who actually are raising uh, these Gen Zs and uh, et cetera, um, and, and, and working with millennials and whatever, I feel like we're this bridge generation. And, um, and I think we, we have a pretty unexamined 
relationship to a lot of this stuff. So, uh, you know, I just wonder, I wonder what other people are seeing and how, um, you know, I've, I feel like I've gotten quite adept at talking about it and having conversations with experts who come on to talk about it in relationship to children. And, and they all like an expert will always bring up that it's really us grownups that have to start facing into our own kind of unchecked um, reliances like the you know it's like anything else that if you're not examining your use of it then it is not a tool <laughs> you know you are its tool and yeah so I just was curious I'm like do people talk about that in like grown-up circles that don't have like young people are people talking about it particularly in the green circle because I think like you know I think greenies often are the worst because we feel really like our work is for a cause and so so there shouldn't be any limits on, you know, like on, um, and because there's often a lot of technology that is helping us do super great stuff. So, um, which doesn't mean, you know, technology is bad, nor that technology is all good. It's just a, an interesting question that I was wondering whether we actually talk about in the green world separate from, from kids. So thanks for your... I I think that, yeah, like uh, the conversations I've had with people, friends and family um, around technology is more about like the amount of time it takes up, especially TV. Like I don't consume TV personally anymore unless it's a specific series that's out and finished and I go through it, but I don't like, you know, just flip through channels or watch, you know, see what's out there. Like I'm in and out. Um, and I know that makes me an outlier because most of my friends spend the majority of their free time watching TV and, and I do watch movies, but um, I kind of like, like when I look at that, I, I look at it from the aspect of like, how much is that distracting us from doing the activist work or doing the work that needs to be done to improve our lives or whatever. And, and that's where it worries me is that like, there's so much content out there between TV and social media and movies and everything. It's overwhelming. And how do you, limit it to where you're still like giving yourself that outlet, but you're also, you know, doing the things in your life that you need to do. Cause I can get really easily sucked into a new game or TV or something and then lose a whole day or two. And I'm like, Oh, I can't let this become the norm. Like um, that scares me. And, and as someone who, yeah, like you said, kind of bridged the generations between pre-internet and now we have internet for everything. It's really easy to be like, wow, we can do all these things because we never, you know, like internet can help us figure everything out. But um, yeah, there's also downside for sure. And I feel like too, after the, like through this pandemic time, like I started managing time really differently because you just jumped on Zoom, right? So we jumped on the computer for everything and like gone were like the coffee breaks, the human interaction, the time to get to things. And now I notice that in my scheduling, as we go back to real time, I just think that you can go back to back to back and you eat your meal, like why, you know, with one hand while you're driving to, you know? And so I'm hoping that we figure out a way to, um, you know, or by we, I mean me, <laughs> to not just have used uh, our ability now to do anything on the computer um, that we haven't just figured out more ways to like shove in work um, and fewer ways to actually have human interaction. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of unlearning and relearning we have to do after the pandemic because um, a lot of things, you know, just changed overnight, literally. So we have to 
figure out new ways of, of existing, <laughs> I think. Um, well, ladies, thank you so much for being on and sharing your thoughts. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and move on to our green life hack portion of the show where we just share one, you know, thing that you can do in your personal life to help you live more sustainably or inspire sustainability in those around you. Um, so Chris, do you have one? So I think because we're in a, a world of, of hustle, of like, go, 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 you got to be productivity, productivity, productivity. And the way I work is that I can't, I, I have a very, I have to be a very deliberate person with how I spend my time. Cause I can get easily overwhelmed and anxiety takes over. So for me, slowing down is very important. So having a slow hobby like knitting or crocheting, I hear sourdough is a thing, uh, just slowing down and just having to be patient with something uh, that you can't rush, um, I think is really important, especially in today's, you know, like hustle society where the busier you are, the better of a person you are. Um, so yeah, that's what I liked. I, I have a lot of grandma hobbies as they were like I know Jen's a big gardener so I like crocheting I like uh I like baking things you get you things you can't <laughs> reading I'm a huge book nerd uh reading uh, uh so just anything that forces you to slow down that you cannot rush so you actually enjoy the process and just like oh, calm down a little bit and kind of de decompress and you don't have to turn it into a job you have a hobby <laughs> That's just a hobby. Yeah, everything doesn't have to become a hustle, no. side hustle. And you don't even have to be fantastic at it. As long as you just find some sort of pleasure from it, that's all you need. I love that because I have a lot of those grandma hobbies too. And I never thought about it as like, maybe that's my balance because I am a go, 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 like constantly on the run type of person. But I enjoy baking and reading and doing some of these slower things. So uh, yeah, I never really thought that's balancing me out and giving me the release I need. <laughs> um, well, that's great. Mine is, uh, since we're talking about teens and, you know, kids in general, um, this could kind of apply to any age, I guess. But when, you know, you're, when you're a teenager, especially, I think, and people want to give you gifts, um, it's, it kind of gets harder to buy for teens anyways, like physical things. And I've always been of the mind that, you know, I don't need more stuff. So if you're going to gift something to a kid or teenager or anybody, um, try gifting an experience or, you know, just do something, give, give them your time versus uh, gifting them things that are going to clutter up the house, may or may not get used, may break or whatever. Um, so, you know, you can go to a concert, you can go to a, a ball game, go to the park, uh, do something fun, um, just, you know, a thing and not a, not a, um, a physical thing, but like an action or an experience. Um, so yeah, that's my, my life hack is to, um, yeah, not consume as much. <laughs> um, Amanda, are you ready for us? Yes. I love those life hacks so much. I was just thinking about all the grandma hobbies that I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to say grandma hobbies too. Let's, let's all slow down. Um, but, um, I, one of the things that I think, you know, Chris, you're hinting at is we are just who we are, no matter where we live. Um, so I certainly could be more um, slowed down because I live in a slowed down kind of community, but instead I'm not. Um, I would say maybe my also teen focused green life hack 
is um, completely ridiculous, but it's something you both said. So um, I'm going to do my own version of it, which is go and buy a graphic novel. Um, I One, I, I just think graphic novels are a great uh, thing that has come in with this generation. And I, we're a family that really deeply loves literature. We've read together until my kids were teenagers and then they wouldn't read with me. We read a lot. We listen to a huge number of audiobooks, and we love graphic novels. And I think that for adults who don't have teenagers in their life, uh, to see the quality of literature that is coming out and the really serious, poignant uh, things that are being dealt with through what might to many people just seem like comics or cartoons, but are actually this, this art form that is allowing this generation to grapple with huge things around the earth and climate and and identity and what we are, you know, what they're going to do with their, their one little precious lives. So go out uh, and experience one of these um, beautiful pieces of art and literature and in a way that that next generation is doing it. So. I love that. Yeah. It's a great um, new way to experience the world and I'm always looking for new ways to do that. So thank you. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and close out by sharing where we can be found online. So, um, Chris, where can we find you on the internet, on the, in the world? The interwebs. Uh, you can find me sometimes here uh, and then over at Epically Geeky, which is our parent company. That sounds weird. Uh, so we do Marginally Geeky, Creatively Geeky and the main show and then here and then on instagram at moody midlife and mando where can we find you online you can find me at thegreenmama.com or backslash uh the the green mama and that's t-h-e-g-r-e-e-n-m-a-m-a you can also check out my other series of podcasts at Folk University, which is folku.ca. And you can find me um, with my Green Teen uh, podcast on the Eco Parent Network podcast backslash podcasts. Great. Yeah. And I um, will, of course, include the links to all this in the show notes. So if you missed any of it, um, you can find that there. And you can find me here on Sustainably Geeky, occasionally on Marginally and Ethically Geeky, as Chris mentioned, and um, on the internet at Het's Gonna Be Me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and then you can find the show at um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and YouTube um, at Sustainably Geeky. Um, and then wherever you listen to podcasts, we should be on there. So subscribe to us, um, like us, give us a thumbs up, five stars, whatever they let you do helps us get the word out. And um, if you find a show you like, share it with a friend. Um, and yeah, if you have any ideas for topics or speaker suggestion or guest suggestions, feel free to send that on to us um, through the website or through social media. We'd love to hear your suggestions. So um, again, thank you ladies for being on and everyone listening, have a great rest of your day. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 